Attention, attention please, stand by for another episode of When Humanists Attack. Hi, my name is Chris West and I'd like to welcome you to When Humanists Attack. Today we're going to be speaking with uh, Vincent Downing, who is one of the cohorts here at When Humanists Attack. Just to get a little bit of background and get an understanding of who he is and where he's coming from. We'll start by saying, welcome, Vincent. Thank you. Thank you very much, cohort. The first question that we have for each other is, why the hell should anybody listen to what you have to say? There's a small number of people who will be very interested in what I have to say, because I'm a specialist in a very particular area, which is mental tinkering. Or if I want to be a bit more highfalutin, I would call it metaprogramming. What is your background that makes you a specialist in this? And what, I guess we should start off with a definition of what exactly exactly you mean, either by mental tinkering or metaprogramming. Mental tinkering and or metaprogramming is when you use your thoughts feelings and actions to reshape your thoughts, feelings, and actions. When you're using your own mind in order to change your mind, how it works. I don't know that that gives me a good idea of what we're talking about, what you're actually doing. I understand that on a a high level, but what is it practically? Practically speaking, it would involve learning new habits. Practically speaking, it would involve things like meditation, like anything as quote unquote ordinary as learning a new language, uh, like um, uh, deconstructing a set of emotional responses and learning new emotional responses, learning how not to be at the mercy of the uh, the programming that you got from your early life and experiences, uh, basically reshaping yourself so that you work better and that, and you're happier. It sounds a bit like what you're talking about is a kind of therapy. Therapy may be one path to metaprogramming maybe is a better way to put it. I would completely agree with that. I, I myself went through seven years of talk therapy. And I found almost all of it to be very useful, uh, very helpful in moving me along my path. And to people who would ask, well, what is the path? We're all on the same path and we're all looking for the same destination. The next step. The term path is often used by people to indicate some kind of spirituality. Um, where do you stand on the, the existence of supernatural phenomena? What, what's your, your take on that? I don't, first of all, believe that there is a supernatural realm or supernatural beings or gods or angels or devils or demons or elementals or anything like that except as projections of our unconscious selves. At least that's what my experience has been. So 
tell me a little about bit about that background because we all have our own stories of what we were brought into as far as an environment in which we grew up in and what is yours what's that soup that that spit you out at some point and then you found out that you had all of this baggage that you wanted to reprogram it was catholics as far as the eye could see you couldn't swing a dead cat without uh, hitting a catholic somewhere went to catholic schools through high school till i was 18 i got to say that i never believed in any of the supernatural claims of the religion not even as a small child didn't believe in god didn't believe in santa claus didn't believe in the boogeyman didn't believe in the easter bunny didn't believe in spider-man or any of those folks either now i don't know exactly why i did not believe these things when i was surrounded by adults that i trusted who were professing to believe in these things but i think that it's that i was instinctively listening to how the adults were talking about these things for example uh uh adults talked about god differently than they talked about the president uh adults talked about the hell differently than they talked about the irs so i think they, they i'm not even sure that most of the people who say that they believe in these supernatural things deep down actually believe in these supernatural things but i wouldn't want to argue that point yeah that's a hard point to to stand behind although i've heard similar claims uh, that the majority of people who profess to believe in those things are doing it to secure their their place as a member of the community which is what they're really after in the end is is being accepted and and cared for and and be an active part of a community that has a similar goal and similar ideals. We understand now that you grew up in a Catholic family, but that the Catholic Church and the the communities of Catholics are so varied. Give us a little more about where you were born, uh, what kind of community that was, the the ethnicity of the, the the community you grew up in and how that influenced you through young adulthood a bit of a New York mix of Irish, Italian, Polish, German, et cetera, et cetera, but very few. It was overwhelmingly Irish and Italian. Virtually no people who were not Caucasian. Born in Brooklyn, grew up in Queens, which is kind of like in most larger cities, a hundred or a thousand little villages uh, mashed together. And uh, good, good folks. Salt of the earth, I think, would be the, the best way to uh, uh, describe them. The entire time that I was in school, from grade school to the end of high school, to, until I was 18 when I left for a secular college, an atmosphere that was just noxious for me, particularly, as uh, somebody who just didn't believe the stuff, uh, wasn't going to admit that to any of these folks because, you know, this was the only community I knew. And then as a, a queer teenager, 
uh, that the environment I found myself in was uh, inveterately hostile. You graduated high school 82? 80. 80. So that, that, that's understandable, you know, being a, a, a gay person in a hyper-Catholic environment in 1980 in Queens. I, I can get a feeling for that partially because I grew up in New York City, so I have an idea of what that might mean. But the Catholicism is a, a, a wide and varied, like I just said. I know, you know, Catholic churches that that don't have a problem with, uh, you know, gay people coming in and being a part and singing and, and being openly gay. Um, and it goes all the way to the, to the other end of the spectrum where you have these these super hyper conservative groups within Catholicism. Where does that that band fall for you politically. I wasn't going to let these people know my sexual orientation, no matter what. Uh, I was just looking for an escape to college, so I really couldn't say. In long retrospect, I it could be it could be said that I never gave them a, a fair chance, but it was too risky, uh, especially in that all boy. Catholic high school I found myself in uh, those those poor guys they had so much to prove fag hatred was one of the badges of membership in that club yeah I have of course uh, being of a similar age uh, experienced uh, being in in places where where gay bashing was very mm-hmm. popular um, and common um Okay, so that's a little bit of background on on where you come from. Um, When did you first get interested in philosophy, for instance? It's one of the things that that we're all interested in here when humans attack, and Mm -hmm. that's one of the bases that we all have in common. Tell me a little about about your journey into, into, you know, love of thinking. The consciously stepping onto that road started when I was 16, walking through the hallway in school. And I remember the moment very clearly. It's just one of those uh, defining moments of one's life. Just walking through the hall next to this uh, glass case of trophies. And I was thinking about uh, the book Dune by Frank Herbert. I was a big science fiction fan in my adolescence, still am actually. I was thinking about how the characters in that novel all lived according to different precepts and trained themselves according to these precepts. And it suddenly occurred to me, well, how do I wanna live? And that was it. That was the question that got me started. At the age of 19, I was in a a bookstore in New York City, looking over uh, books on metaphysics uh, and the occult and uh, flipped one of these open. I remember it very clearly, looked down in the book, saw these uh, incantation to a Sumerian deity, I think it was, and it just clicked in my mind that This is what I'm here to do. And even when I, as I said the word to myself, this is what I'm here to do. I knew that this did not mean specifically being a 
invoker of Sumerian and other deities, but this, this meant the process of all of the metaprogramming that would go into being somebody who could do such a thing. To step out of this frame of consciousness that I knew about and enter a different world somehow. Yeah. And that's what all of that meant to me, to, to a, a new life, a new way of being. And it's, uh, uh, what, what I've heard described by, uh, by people who are into LARPing, live action role-playing, there's a, a certain therapy that's based on LARPing where people who are doing it are hmm. able to step out of their normal roles and try on new roles and spend their uh, a week or two or whatever uh, investigating that new thought pattern and try it on for, for size and see if they like it. And, and, and of course, this is all contrasting to that, that basis that you had growing up that's, that we're, we're setting off against as, as the starting point, all of the baggage that we came out of that soup with. What is your practice? What, what do you do in your daily practice as a part of this metaprogramming? Currently, the cornerstone of my practice is a very simple uh, mindfulness meditations that I do. The oldest of the Buddhist meditations called Vipassana. I do that on a daily basis. I also keep pretty detailed diary of all of the various uh, little tricks and processes and things that I'm paying attention to. For example, as I've gotten older, learning the skill of letting go has grown in importance over time. And I have a group of attitudes and old programming and old emotional reactions that I am actively working on letting go of and allowing something else to just simply take their place. Working on my fear, addiction, or fascination, or habit, and letting go of that and allowing confidence to seep in, in its place. I'm learning forgiveness instead of being angry, angry, forgiving, forgiving who? Well, <laughs> everybody, uh, including me, which is maybe the hardest uh, person to forgive of all the forgiveness that you got to get into. That's true. Uh, that's, a, that's an ongoing thing. I, I would recommend keeping a diary to anybody who's in this game. And one of the things that I've learned is that Keeping the diary is, in a way, half of the practice, because what you wind up doing is scripting the course of your days, of, of your life, of the workings of these processes by keeping the diary of what's happening. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's a very difficult thing to describe. It's simply, I, I find that some of the most profound changes that I'm working on making happen in myself happen because 
I'm, I simply get to the point where I'm willing to allow the change to happen. And then generally speaking, I can go one of two ways. I can steer it a little bit here and there and try to remain as unconscious of it as possible, keep it under the radar, or I try to be hyper-conscious of it, as conscious of it as possible at all times. That's what I'm trying to do, for example, with mindfulness, trying to have as many mindful moments as possible during yeah. the day. Yeah. Uh, and learning forgiveness, that's one of the ones that I just kind of, 99 days out of 100, I just let that roil under the surface. And then as time goes by, things become more or less important. And I, I let my unconscious handle almost all of that at this point. One of the things that we're working on here at Unhumanist Attack is to find the thinkers that have influenced us, right? The, the people who, uh, who we've read or who, we, who we've worked with, who have given us tools that are helping us in that work that you're talking about, this, what you call mental tinkering or metaprogramming, this, this reworking of who we are. Um, we need tools, right? Uh, one of the, the, the best things I've, I've ever heard on, on one of my favorite uh, podcasts, uh, Talk Eden, is they're often saying, you know, you just have a bad toolbox. You don't have good ways of determining things because you're using a toolbox that you kind of uh, threw together as you were coping with life as a kid. And uh, so what, what, what toolboxes have you been uh, borrowing? What, what thinkers have you been using to, to amass these tools that you're using for, for your metaprogramming, for this changing yourself in a, in a conscious way? The toolbox that I store everything in and the tools that I use have changed over time. At this point, I would have to say the, the new atheists, particularly Sam Harris. I am taking a lot of concepts from uh, Marcus Aurelius and the Stoics, concepts from Buddhism, um, critical thinking exercises, YouTube, if you want to learn about uh, critical thinking skills, just look at some YouTube videos. Peter Bogosian and his communications skills. Socrates, there's another one. The unexamined life is not worth living. I find that it's best <laughs> if I want to make a profound and lasting change in myself to find something and then hammer away at it like a fanatic for year after year, if you gotta, uh, until you, uh, you actually make something happen. And uh, yeah, I do mean year after year sometimes. It's uh, it, by no stretch of the imagination is this stuff easy, uh, but worthwhile, absolutely. I'm what I used to call back in my old pagan and ceremonial magic days, I'm an eclectic. Yeah. As a rationalist, as a humanist, I consider myself uh, privileged to be able to reach into all kinds of different toolboxes and test stuff and then use that for my own work. With this When Humanist Attack channel that we're putting together, what are you hoping to get out of it? I'm hoping to 
promote humanism as a toolbox that is probably one of the best, if not the best toolbox available to help us human beings move ourselves from a, a series, you know, a series of competing tribes to a, a global culture, a global society, because that's, I think that's where we're headed. Uh, if we're not already there, we're headed there. And it's the same thing for my individual metaprogramming is my hope is that we in our own small way can help the world get to the next step. Yeah. Tell me about your art. I know that most of your life you've been not delving into the artistic side of yourself as far as physical art. But a couple of years ago, you got very into art and have developed a, a style for yourself. So tell, tell me a little about that. Uh, yeah, since uh, 2014, all of a sudden out of nowhere, I started making relief prints and actually became pretty good at it at least from what some people tell me. Some people really love my stuff and other people just don't like it at all, which is pretty typical. I don't really have a message in my art. The relief prints, they're, they're just to make a beautiful thing that encapsulates a mood or a moment and helps people make their lives just a little bit more beautiful. The other thing that I do is I write. I write every day. I've been writing since I've been about 11. I have a huge collection of notebooks. I like to write longhand. I have thousands of pages of stuff, poetry and essays almost entirely. I tried my hand at fiction. That really didn't work very well. As I meet my obligation that I have to my human tribe of reporting my findings. I've been doing this work alone for decades. Um, and this stuff, this metaprogramming stuff is pretty much the only thing that keeps my attention for any period of time. And I actually have, uh, somewhat to my surprise, wound up with some kind of facility for it and experience with it. So what I realized a few years ago is that, yeah, well, you know, I've been doing this work really seriously, a lot more seriously than I even gave myself credit for. And that's something that I'd like anybody listening to this to pay attention to is that you yourself could very well have been doing all kinds of fascinating, interesting things with yourself, to yourself, by yourself, and not even noticed much of it going on. The only part of my uh, responsibility that I really have not lived up to is uh, reporting my findings. And that is what I'm going to be doing increasingly over time to the small segment of the population that's going to find this stuff useful, they're going to find it very useful. The, the other folks, not so much. And that's fine. You, we, we all have our job. This is my job is to talk to a certain number of people who will need to hear what I have to say. 
Thank you, Vincent, for engaging in me. We want to thank uh, our behind the scenes workers, Tobias and Robin, and other people as well for their expert help and uh, technical support. And until next time.